skunk ape, and it completely altered the course of my life. I found this skull. I think you guys are going to want to come build this. Put him out, 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 put him out. I just say it, I just say it, I just say it. Sightings of a UFO hovering over a barn? Millie woke up from a dream, and when I went into the bedroom, she said there's a monster on the wall. They saw that the creature had run through a barbed wire fence. They were able to obtain hairs. They sent the hairs to their lab and it came back as an unknown creature. Welcome back, everyone, to another action-packed episode of Bizarre Encounters. I'm the hippie Bigfoot Shane, along with uh, that weird guy that just stands in the corner and then sometimes he manifests over there, uh, Ghost. How's it going today, man? Hey, pretty good, brother. How are you? Slowly uh, watching you manifest into the screen. It was kind of funny because your voice was oh, yeah. quiet and kind of came up in, so it was perfect. Nice, nice. That's what we—that's what ghosts do. <laughs> manifest. <laughs> <laughs> we just manifest. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of manifesting, uh, why don't you guys go over and manifest some five star ratings and reviews over at Apple iTunes? Uh, just leave a five star review. Uh, you can leave a shitty review as long as it's a five star. If you don't want to do the review, head over to Spotify, hit five stars, walk away, and listen. It's it's super easy. Uh, don't forget to hit us up on Telegram and Instagram. Um, you can DM us there uh, with any questions that you might have or just want to interact and uh, maybe tell a bizarre encounter or just you saw something crazy one day while you're driving and you just want to get it off your chest, you know, because you don't think anybody else will believe you. Uh, hit us up there. And, uh, I also uh, will be releasing um, early access to uh, Bizarre Encounters weekly on my Patreon as well. And I know Shane has Open Minds Media uh, Patreon. So Shane, why don't you let them know how to find that? So uh, if you want to check out the Open Minds Media Patreon, uh, that one's kind of all four shows that I do all kind of thrown into one. So uh, I recently updated the tiers. You know, definitely go check that out. Um, there's live access to this show, of course, if you want to listen to it while we do it live, and early access. So depending on how early you want your episodes, definitely worth going and checking out. And uh, you can definitely go check out the uh, open or the Bizarre Encounters merch over at the Open Minds Media merch store. Because again, just like the Patreon, I kind of put it all in one place, try to make it quick and easy. And uh, if you want to donate a different way. Uh, you can also donate through Anchor, which uh, it's pretty easy to do. It's our, our RSS feed, so you know whatever podcast app you listen to, just scroll down to the bottom of the description. It'll have like a little thing that'll say "Donate on Anchor," or you can go and check it out on our link tree. And uh, you know you can donate whatever you want over there. It's always helpful. It keeps the lights on in both of our studios and makes it so we can keep doing the show and uh, slowly upgrade our equipment. And also, uh, while you're uh, over at the the donate section, don't forget to hit up uh, Crypto Theology, our collab with them is up and live right now. Uh, we did have a winner back uh, in November that won it. I know I ordered one for myself and I ordered one for a Christmas present for a friend. So it's uh, me as Kano and 
Shane as Scorpion and the rest of the playable characters you see in the background are different cryptids. So he did a banging job over there and can't Toasty. thank him enough. Toasty. And uh, yeah, so go over to Crypto Theology, hit up the him. He has more than just our, our shirt over there. He has tons. If you follow Shane on uh, his, his Instagram, um, he constantly posting different pics of him in, in the different shirts that he's ordered so far and uh they're good quality they're nice and soft and uh you know hey he do, like i said he does great work so hit it up and uh if you want to go and check out anything that we mentioned including uh crypto theology the patreons all that fun stuff our individual shows uh you can go check out our link tree uh it's l-i-n-k-t-r period e-e slash bizarre encounters and that's b-i-z-a-r-r-e because i know that that's spelled multiple different ways but we spell it you know in the term of uh something that's fascinating and a weird phenomenon so with that welcome to the show author paul buckner how's it going today great man thanks for having me on so uh i guess to start off with uh giving everybody kind of like a basic idea about who you are and what you do sure absolutely um well, um, I, I grew up here in, uh, in northeastern Oklahoma. Uh, my background actually is um, I was a touring musician for many years out on the road, um, which took me into a lot of different states and a lot of different areas, meeting uh, all sorts of people from uh, all the way from coast to coast. Um, and uh, now I've, I've been working uh, for the Cherokee Nation now for about 20 years. Uh, which is my tribe I'm a mem uh, citizen of. Um, but uh, I've also been uh, an author uh, and I've gotten um, you know, several uh, different books uh, completed and, and finished right now. And uh, of course, my, um, my favorite topic is, uh, has to be Bigfoot. I mean, whether or not a person believes in Bigfoot, um, I think it's still a very fascinating subject and a lot of people have fun with it. it it's, uh, it's certainly interesting. And, and, uh, I've, you know, certainly had a couple of experiences when I was very young that, that got me into uh, the subject anyway. So it's just uh, been a, a lifelong thing with me. So, uh, I guess kind of giving people a rough idea about your books. Um, why don't you give people like a little rundown of uh, your different books that you do have out before we get into all the fun stuff and all the Sasquatch stuff? Because we definitely love to get into that on this show. It's a heavily talked about topic yeah. that never gets ran out. <laughs> oh, I know it. Yeah, you know, the first book that I did, uh, I released it in, in 2015, uh, and it was called Siege at Hawthorne Lake. And uh, it, it's, it's fiction. Um, but it's based loosely on a lot of different uh, encounter stories that I've heard over the years. Um, but it's it's very, very much mainstream. Um, and, and if you will, it's very akin to um, Stephen King type uh, storytelling, uh, Dean Coons, um, different things like that. But it's it was, uh, um, quite honestly, it was one of those uh, college bucket list things that I had many years ago. And uh, um, it was uh, just a, a lifelong um, uh, drive of mine. You know, I wanted I wanted to write a book because I've got so many stories that's that's always going on in my head. And uh, what better way to to do that than um, through a novel? And uh, that was the first one. Um, but I followed that up quickly because the first one was um, uh, quite honestly I, a surprising success uh, for me. Um, because, like I said, it, it was a bucket list thing, 
but uh, I, I put it out there on uh, on, on Amazon and, and the Kindle Unlimited, and uh, um, quite honestly, it, it 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 really took off, and uh, a lot of people liked it from not just here in the states, but um, globally too. I mean, I've I've had um, fans from uh, from Japan, uh, from India, um, Australia, um, all over all over Europe. Uh, you know email me and, and talk about this because it's obviously a, a fascinating um, subject so uh, yeah Bigfoot was the uh, the first thing that really uh, took off in, in those books but beyond the fiction uh, you know well the second book uh, I released right after that um, and uh, working on a third one for that too and, and those are fiction but those stories came from actual encounters that that people have told um, me about through the years and uh, which led me to the latest uh, book that I've uh, released now um, which is uh, nonfiction and those are uh, actual encounter stories not with just Bigfoot but um, UFOs the paranormal uh, which I find all those subjects absolutely fascinating so I guess a good spot to start too before we get getting into the uh, bizarre encounters and strange stories. Um, I'd like to hear some of the uh, stories that inspired you to write your first two books. That you said that you took some actual stories and kind of converged them into them. What's what's like the basis of like the real stories that you put into the the first two books? Well, here in, in Oklahoma, down in in um, southeast Oklahoma, um, I have a friend there that has um, a cabin in the Kamish Mountains, and. Down in, in, at Ho'Nubby, uh, they have this annual Bigfoot uh, festival now, uh, and it's been going for several years now. But before that, uh, there was an actual encounter story that came out, and it really had to do with uh, uh, some guys that um, had gone out in, into the woods. Uh, there's there's over a hundred thousand acres just in the uh, that particular area. Uh, that's um, very sparsely habited. Uh, and there was a story that came out of there of uh, uh, getting stuck in a in a cabin, um, you know, uh, basically under siege. Uh, so that that was really kind of the basis of my story. And this uh, apparently happened many years ago, long before they started having the Bigfoot Festival. But that that major story that came out of here in Oklahoma, you know, it was really kind of a uh, a driving factor for a lot of the things that's uh, that's happening now uh, in the Bigfoot community uh, in in southeastern Oklahoma and really all over Oklahoma. Um, I don't think uh, uh, Bigfoot is isolated in uh, um, you know the northern Pacific area. Uh, I think they get most of the uh, the famous sightings up there, but I think Oklahoma can uh, run a close second to them. Are you uh, referring to the Ape Canyon story? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always so found that fascinating. Yeah, I've dug into that one a few times. Uh, I guess the premise for people that haven't heard that story before is essentially there was, I think it was three miners that um, were in a cabin and they had some issue with uh, throwing rocks and seeing something off in the distance. So later on that night, they were at the cabin and uh, a bunch of rocks started getting bombarded on top of the cabin while they were all inside. And there's even part of it, too, where they said one of them put their arm through and tried to grab an axe, and they were able to stop it before it was able to pull the axe through. And that happened until morning, and supposedly 
uh, they went out and there was still one there and they shot at it and it took off into the woods. And then when they came back um, with the sheriff and all that, they uh, were saying that they couldn't find anything um, that would have, you know, kind of made their point, I guess, uh, other than like the rocks thrown. But I guess you could, you could, they're saying that you could put them there. Um, and then they were trying to rationalize it too by saying that uh, some of the local like Boy Scouts will do a thing where they throw rocks off the canyon, but that wouldn't they wouldn't have been throwing boulders though. So I don't know. There's a lot of weirdness no. to that story. And then there's yeah. even the other part with the skier that went missing that was in the same area and disappeared in the same area. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah you know, there's there's a there's a lot of the stories like that. Um, and you know, the thing is too that you know for every. 10 stories out there, there's probably at least one that's legit. So, you know, it's, it's weeding through there because I, I find this subject, one of those things that uh, a lot of people want to get involved in. And a lot of people have a great imagination. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There, there was a documentary made uh, a couple of years ago. I forget where I might've seen it on uh, maybe Amazon. I, for, I forget the title of it, but uh, this guy kind of made it his, his men to go out and find the remains of that cabin at, at, at and did actually end up finding it. it. It was pretty neat. I mean, there's really hardly anything left there anymore other than, you know, some wood beams and, and this and that, but just the story right. around, you know, Ape Canyon is just, it's fascinating all in and of itself. So, so right. in the 1980s too, there was uh, the Mount St. Helen eruptions too, which I'm sure changed part of the landscape and probably made it even harder to find the cabin. <laughs> Right. And, you know, that <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. You know, there's there's a lot of stories that come about that, you know, and, and it's uh, one of those uh, conspiracy theory type stories, you know, the, where the, the government supposedly secreted away, um, you know, families of Bigfoots during during that time, um, during the eruption. Uh, I don't I don't know that I personally uh buy into that myself but you know a lot of people do so and that's my job i think as a writer is to take those those particular stories like that and they provide a lot of uh, in, inspiration um for writing uh really good flowing stories and that's that's what my my uh the nonfiction books are about and, and it's about entertainment too um because yeah it's a, it's a fascinating subject but at the same time it's very entertaining well, you, if you're not right, if you're writing a book and you're not entertained, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. That's kind of the, you know what I mean? Because yep. he said, I, I, and I've read books in high school that just were like, I don't even know why the teacher recommended <laughs> them because they were just like, how did you even enjoy this? But, you know, obviously I was of a younger mindset and, and this and that also, but, you know, there's always good books that, to read. And especially when you get into the subject of, uh, you know, Sasquatch and, and aliens and, and the paranormal and it's just like wow you know you you get a chance to sit there read and then try to put yourself in that person's shoes to feel what it, they might have went through you know what i mean because nope you, you don't know until you've actually went through something like that but that just capturing that that little piece of i don't know mystery or, or ambiance of of the situation yeah, absolutely. I think that's you, you hit the nail on the head there with the mystery. People love a good mystery. Um, I mean, you watch t television right now, and it's it's nothing but cop shows, and it's it's a mystery. It's a who done it. Um, people like that kind of thing, trying to figure out what it is. You know, it's the it, it's the it's the unknown. 
and, and I think that's the, the, the driving factor behind the, um, the huge um, uh, fascination with, with Bigfoot. So I guess uh, at some point I was going to ask regardless, but uh, what's your like understanding of Bigfoot? I know a lot of people talk about it being interdimensional, being a physical being. Um, obviously, it's all just speculation, but like, what side do you kind of fall on uh, with all of your knowledge that you've obtained about Bigfoot? Well, you know, it's that is interesting, um, and I've thought long and hard about it during all of my research because, like I said before, you know, I I, I spend a lot of time out on the road traveling. Um, all over the states, uh, you know, from coast to coast and from Canada to, to Mexico. And uh, uh, being a member, um, a citizen of the, of the Cherokee Nation, uh, one of the things um, that has always fascinated me was Native American lore um, in regards to Bigfoot. Uh, now, I think you have to take uh, in, into account that uh, even with the Native Americans, there were stories that were told uh, that may not necessarily um, be uh, a legitimate story. It could be just a, a made-up story for the to entertain the kids. Uh, you know, who, who's to speculate on that now? Um, because those stories are passed down from generation to generation to generation. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, played the game in school when you were a kid, but uh, you know, it's uh, where you whisper the story to, to the person next to you and you pass that all the way around the room. And by the time it gets back to you, it's a completely different story. Um, so I think a lot of that Native American lore that we've passed down, uh, even especially in our, our tribe, the Cherokee Nation, uh, I think there's a lot of um, uh, credence to that, that thought alone. Um, but that's the thing that uh, has always fascinated me. You know, those stories come from somewhere there's got to be a basis in there somewhere but i lend um or i, I tend to uh, um, believe along the lines of if this is a flesh and blood creature um, that uh, um, you know bleeds like we do uh, breathes like we do eats like we do um, but obviously is uh, very good at hide and seek um, but yeah i i don't know that i uh, personally uh, buy into uh, the portals and the uh, the connections with the UFOs or anything like that. I think that if there is a, a creature out there um, that I, I think it is, is, you know, pretty much flesh and blood and, and uh, forced to uh, uh, the, uh, the same laws of physics that we are. The Cherokee nation, the one, the native Americans famously bought, uh, fought the redheaded uh, giants. No, I believe that was the Choctaw. Choctaw, um, yeah, it was the Choctaw. Okay. Say, going into a little bit of Native American folklore, um, I'd love to hear some of the stories that you've collected about uh, Sasquatch because it, it just like the Thunderbird, it's one of those things that you can kind of look at it two ways, that maybe the stories are very literal or it's something that it was a physical being that existed and they kind of expanded the stories from like their understanding and their perspective. But I, it's always fun to entertain both, both ways that they are the mystical being that native American lore says they are, or that they are a physical creature. And they were just something that they didn't understand and they were powerful beings. So they obviously created some folklore around them, but yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to hear some of the Sasquatch stories that you've collected from uh, native American lore specifically. Yeah. You know, what's, what's funny about that uh, within the Cherokee nation itself, you know, we're not originally from Oklahoma. This is not our, 
our homelands. Our homelands were back uh, back east and, um, you know, North Carolina and Georgia and in that area there. Um, so we were a, a woodland people. Uh, we weren't plains tribes. And you would think that there would be a lot more stories within the Cherokee uh, people uh, regarding Bigfoot. But in actuality, I, through my research, the Cherokee Nation really don't have uh, many stories at all about Bigfoot that have been passed down from from long ago. Um, there is one story in particular that was written down by James Mooney. Um, and this was, uh, he was a, um, uh, a self-proclaimed uh, anthropologist um, that uh, embedded himself basically with the Cherokee tribe. Uh, and he wrote about these, uh, uh, the different medicines that the Cherokee people would use, uh, the different stories. He, he, he collected a lot of information like that. And there's just a, just a, a ton of information that, that he collected from them uh, back in that time. There is one story in, in particular that uh, people always refer back to. Um, and that's about uh, Judicula, uh, which there is a place back east called Judicula Rock, um, and which is very fascinating. The story itself uh, sounds pretty much like a Bigfoot, um, a great hunter of the forest um, and a large giant uh, of a creature. Uh, but uh, this particular story, the, the, uh, the Cherokee elders that I have spoken to and interviewed on numerous occasions uh, say that that is not Bigfoot. That is that's something else entirely different. But it's uh, and, and this is a story that I've talked about in the latest my latest book, uh, Bigfoot UFOs and, and the Paranormal. That particular story and the similarities between um, the stories of encounters that you're hearing today uh, and that particular story are perfectly very much parallel. Um, so, you know, you be the judge. I think that uh, story, um, it, it, it's obviously 150 plus years old. Um, so there's a, it's a pretty fascinating read. Oh yeah, definitely. So um, just because of, you know, you having some uh, Cherokee background and lore, um, have you, have you done any kind of digging into uh, the antlered serpent? I don't know how to say the name correctly, but I know it's, uh, I think it's spelled UK. T-E-N-A, Ukna or Uktena or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but uh, definitely an interesting uh, piece of lore that I've kind of dug into. Yeah, you know, um, I did a little bit, and like you, I'm not really sure uh, how to pronounce it myself. I, I don't speak the language. Um, a lot of my friends do, but uh, I don't, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've looked at that a little bit, uh, but to be honest, most of my research has been uh, uh, delving into Bigfoot. Uh, I've kind of, there's there's so many other different stories within the Cherokee people about uh, different witches and, you know, Spearfinger um, to uh, Deer Woman, uh, different stories like that that are just equally as fascinating. But I think Bigfoot is um, more fully recognized than uh, uh, some of those other little stories like that. I was going to say Spearfingers is another one that I was thinking about mentioning too. Um, just because I'm always fascinated in different lore, of course, too. Uh, what are some other Cherokee uh, 
mythology or lore that you've heard about that you know probably isn't very popular even if you don't know the full story if you don't mind just dropping some names uh i'm sure people definitely find it interesting and find it you know something they could dig into themselves sure you know one of the things i think is not just necessarily uh related to the charity tribe but uh and that's the story uh, of the little people um and you know growing up as a kid uh you know that I think that's a, a lot of those stories that are told to uh, keep kids in line. Uh, the, a lot of those children's stories, I think, were were designed just to do that. Um, and you know, because your your grandmother would tell you, you, you better come in, um, you know, at a certain time, or uh, uh, the little people will find you and, and carry you off, or you know, whatever. They they're they're tricksters and, and they'll mess with you. They'll take your car keys and um, hide them. Uh, different things like that, and and I find that uh, very interesting too. But also, you know, uh, with Native American lore and the little people, it's um, you're not really supposed to talk about that. Um, the more you talk about it, you know, the more um, bad things can happen to you. So I've I've kind of you know tried to stay away from that a little bit, just simply because of the the respect for that. But uh, yeah, those stories are. Are, are pretty cool. Um, and a lot of our artists, um, from uh, painter, painters to sculptors, um, you'll see uh, a lot of that in their work, uh, but they don't necessarily talk about it a lot. Yeah, the little people are one of my favorite uh, lore to, yeah. to dig into and hear stories and encounters of, because it's just like, wow, you know, you, you and like you said, they're tricksters. So I don't know. It, I, and I'm not a little person by any means, but I'm a trickster at heart too. You know what I mean? I love impractical yeah. jokes on people or, you know, just scaring people or whatever, but yeah, they're, they're fascinating to talk about and hear about. But like you said, you don't want to talk too much about them because you don't want to invite them in. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I, a story that I, I talked about in, uh, in my book uh, was uh, it's, it's in regard to sleep paralysis, but, and I don't know uh, a whole lot about it other than my experiences with it and uh, also uh, a few folks that I've uh, interviewed over the years. And just a quick story here, um, and I relate this to possibly the little people uh, because of what happened. Uh, it was um, late one night when I came home from a fishing trip. Uh, I was, um, uh, I don't know, I was, I was pretty tired when I, when I got home, but it was probably, you know, just after midnight. Uh, my wife uh, was in bed with the baby, um, and uh, I tried not to wake them up. So I went back to the back room, the guest room, um, and uh, just took a shower back there and went to bed. And when I got into bed, I'm just laying against the wall uh, or facing the wall and my back to the door. And this was a, uh, a crawl space house, so it's not built on a concrete pad. Um, so it's, you know, wooden floor. Well, as soon as I lay down and I'm facing the wall, I hear these footsteps coming down the hall pretty fast. And I'm thinking, okay, that, that must be my wife going coming to check on me. But at that time, I mean, just the, the, the footsteps started getting faster and they got to my room and the next thing I know, I am being held down. I am wide awake, staring at the wall. Uh, I, 
I, I, I'm froze. I can't, I can't talk. I can't scream. I can't move. I am just completely, you know, bound. And my mind is just racing. Uh, and I'm thinking, my God, what's what's going on? Who is this? Um, you know, does somebody break in? I, I'm thinking all sorts of different things. And then all of a sudden, just as fast as it started, it stopped. It, it moved off of me and I rolled over and I'm, you know, ready to fight the world. There was nothing there. Uh, there was a, a kind of a, a nightlight in the hall um, and I could see just as clear as day. There is nobody there. Nothing. I'm wide awake. I, I don't. You know, but uh, that particular house, too, was um, in Adair County, uh, which is one of the uh, the areas where um, uh, our people uh, came uh, across the Trail of Tears and settled in that particular area first. And, yeah, it was very close to the cemetery there, a very old cemetery. But uh, I know that I was wide awake. Now, sleep paralysis is is a thing, but, um, I, I told that story to an elder and he just looked at me and said, little people. And that's all he'd say. Hmm. So I don't know. That's definitely fascinating. I've never heard that connection between them, but I mean, I don't know. It kind of makes you wonder if they're able to make themselves like invisible. Maybe it's not one theoretical thing sitting in your chest and maybe multiple different things holding you down. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, uh, I've heard different things. You know, I, I think the, um, uh, they called it the old hag syndrome back in the day. Um, you know, but it's there's been stories of sleep paralysis type things for centuries. So, you know, a lot of people see different things whenever this happens. And I personally, I didn't see anything. I didn't see an old woman, uh, anything like that, uh, like some of the old stories talked about. But that doesn't mean it's it's not it wasn't the same thing. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's definitely fascinating. So um, I'd like to get into some of uh, your other encounters that you mentioned uh, before the show too, because you know if you get, give us a taste of one, you got to share all of your encounters with us, my friend. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, I'll tell you one about uh, in at Honubi Creek. Uh, this was uh, probably about I don't know back in. Um, I can't remember for sure. A lot of dates just run through my mind, but it's it's been more than 20 years ago. Uh, like I said, my buddy that owned a cabin down there, we go down there to ride four-wheelers all over the mountains down there. Uh, there's, uh, you know, they log down there, so there's logging trails everywhere. Uh, but he owned uh, quite a bit of acreage there on top of uh, one of the mountains. And uh, we decided that we were going to go uh, hang out for the weekend and uh, just ride four wheelers and, and, and do some fishing down in the uh, river. Uh, just hang out. And uh, it was going to be uh, after work Friday when we'd all leave and just meet down there. Um, now, the Kaimishi Mountains are, well, they're uh, like any other mountain uh, range. It's, uh, it's, it's up and down the hills and stuff. And, uh, uh down in those valleys, uh, it's uh, it's a pretty gnarly place to get to. Uh, but I left the house and it, during the daylight hours after work. And when I got there, though, it's it's already dark because it, it was a few hours away from you know from the house. So I've got my truck. It's four wheel drive truck, and uh, I've got a uh, a sixteen foot flatbed trailer on there with uh, I had three four wheelers with me. 
And I drive up to the top of the mountain and I turn off the, the road and the road is paved there. But when I turn off the road, it's, it's an old uh, logging road back down to the cabin. And it's a couple of miles through there and it just winds all back through the woods. This was in the summertime. So as soon as I turned off the road, I, uh, I roll my windows down and uh, I'm just listening to the radio and stuff. And I wind back through there and it's, it's pretty gnarly with the, uh, a 16 foot flatbed trailer on the back trying to, you know, make some hairpin turns uh, through the woods on this, this old dozer road. But I finally get to the, the cabin and I, uh, I'm the first one there. So I, uh, back in I, I get turned around and i kind of back in there to the by the cabin and uh, of course there's there's woods surrounding everything just within a few feet of the cabin so i get there and uh, i park and um, i kill the engine and uh, it it takes about i think it was 30 seconds for my headlights to go off so my headlights go off um, my radio goes off too at the same time because it, it you know it stays on for 30 seconds or something like that so I turned the radio back on and uh, just listened to it really low. And, uh, you know, there's it, it's summertime. So you're hearing all the cicadas in the trees and the crickets and the, the, the bullfrogs over uh, by a pond not far away and just everything that's going on at night. But this particular night, um, there was no um, moonlight to speak of. It was it was pitch black when those lights went out. Uh, I mean, you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. It's it's very, very black. Well, I turned the, I heard something off in the leaves, just kind of rustle around. And I think to myself, you know, I don't, I don't know what that was. It, it could have been a squirrel. It could have been a, uh, a raccoon. It could have been a possum. Who knows? So I'm just listening to the radio and just kind of leaning back and relaxing in the seat. Then I hear it again, then again. Um, so I turn the radio off. Now, I'm not one that's uh, to be afraid of the dark. Uh, I've never been a, a really um, afraid of the dark, even as a kid. But this place has something about it. Uh, being up there in the mountains like that, so incredibly isolated, um, you are alone. Um, and being pitch black like that, it's uh, it's pretty weird. It's a pretty weird feeling. Now, of course, like anybody in Oklahoma, I happen to have a, a, a handgun with me. Uh, it was in the console, of course, so I, I slide it out into my lap. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, you know, there's bears up here, too. Um, there could also be some cats up here. You just never know. But I, I know for a fact that there's bears up there and that they broke into my buddy's cabin uh, before. But um, I, I don't have a flashlight with me or anything. Uh, just my, you know, the truck lights. But right now, everything is off and I'm listening really close in, intently. And I hear it again, but only this time it sounded much bigger. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain that other than it was a it was a bigger sound. Uh, I think you can tell the difference between a squirrel in the leaves um, or a uh, even a horse walking that, you know, a horse can weigh, you know, 800,000 pounds stepping on the ground. You can kind of hear it and feel it. Well, this was kind of like that, but it, 
you know, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't small by any means, but you could almost hear the the thump, right? So now I'm, my hair is standing on edge, right? Um, and I don't know what in the world's going on. I don't have a flashlight, but I'm just listening. And the next sound is a little bit closer. And I've got my windows down, um, you know, and, and it's a little bit closer, but then nothing. So I'm thinking, okay, is it, is it gone? What was that? But then a, a minute later, I, I, I hear a little bit of rustling around in the leaves again. And it's a little bit nearer to the truck. I can I can hear it a lot better. But then there was the the craziest feeling, um, you know, like you walk walk into a room or uh, and you feel that somebody's staring at you and they they've got eyes on you or something. I started getting that that eerie feeling that somebody was watching me, looking at me. Uh, I couldn't see them, but they could see me and then this whatever this was there was something just filled up my my driver's side window it was just it was a feeling more than i could see anything but as dark as it was my window just was blacker and it was a there was a musky smell uh and i i don't know what it was but here's the here's the deal I don't know how this happened, but the next thing I know, I am sitting down at the bottom of the, the mountain at Honubi Creek store. And I do not remember how I got there because like I said, that's a windy two mile road to get back out to the road. And then it's another five miles down to the store. I was, I, I don't know. Uh, that was the, um, that was the most eerie feeling that I ever had in my life. Whatever that was, was just, it was large, huge. It just filled that window. And, and you know, a lot of people uh, attribute a uh, very bad smell to Bigfoot, you know, like, like very skunky. But I didn't get that at all. I got this hot, musky smell. Um, it, it, it was, quite frankly, it was a little scary. Um, I sat there at that store and I waited until I saw my buddies come by in their trucks. Then I followed them back up there and I told them the story and we all looked around. Everybody had flashlights there. Um, we looked around all over the cabin. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that night I didn't sleep well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would either. Um, it's weird because I think that's the first time I've ever heard anybody contribute loss of time with a possible Sasquatch encounter. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that um, when that happened, I uh, really started uh, doing a little bit more research and looking for those types of stories. Now I've, I've come across a couple of other ones um, where there was a time loss attributed to it, but not very many. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that uh, has really fascinated me. Uh, and I'd love to hear uh, more encounters of people that uh, that do uh, attribute a time loss to it, because um, I find that just very, very interesting. It almost makes you wonder if it's more of like a theoretical, like mental blocker, possibly that you like got yourself out of danger and it was some type of mental block or 
just uh, you know speculating because it's always fun and I like doing that over here. Um, I've never really connected. I don't, I don't want to say like Bigfoot and aliens are connected, but one thing that I've always said is that if people are fascinated in them, why wouldn't you know extraterrestrials or aliens be fascinated in them? So theoretically, too, you know, if there was one, they were watching it, and then it became close and had an encounter with you. Um, you know, they may not be linked, but they may have like moved you out of the location, time lost you. So it may link as like an extraterrestrial story, but not with like the two different beings being connected themselves, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think the mind is, uh, it, it, it's very powerful. And, you know, the more you uh, put yourself into a situation where you think um, that there could be something going on your mind can literally manifest these things in into something into a, a perceived reality and, and i think a lot of time in, in other words you can scare the hell out of yourself mm-hmm. uh, you know i mean have you ever stood in front of a mirror and just stared into your own eyes that's kind of spooky mm-hmm. <laughs> but i've talked to people that have done that and uh yeah, they've, they've told the same type of story that they've scared the heck out of themselves doing stuff like that, you know, with uh, with that type of background, you know, thinking about Bigfoot or ghosts or anything paranormal. Um, with any of the other stories that you found that were, like, kind of somewhat related and had that same kind of issue happen, uh, was there any other correlations with those stories, like, you know, specific locations, uh, anything that happened beforehand, just anything else that may have been similar? You know, that, that's one of the things that I've done in my research is try to find uh, those uh, those similarities, those those parallels, if you will. I, and uh, there, quite quite honestly, there there is a lot of a lot of similarities uh, in in stories, um, and uh, it, it makes one want to believe too that uh, you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people that like to tell stories too. But, you know, during during the interviews that I've done, especially with a lot of Native American elders, uh, I don't ever get that that sense, that vibe that uh, they're making anything up. I think people, um, when they have an experience, whether or not it's it's how profound it is, it, it's their experience and they lived it. And they they're the ones that that witnessed this. And I think it's very real to them. So I think that's the, that's the biggest common denominator is um, it's a personal experience that is so profound that it, that has changed their way of thinking one way or another. True. I was um, going into the elders too. Um, when you mentioned the time loss, is there any uh, like Cherokee lore that goes along with like time loss or anything? You know, that's, uh, that's something I've asked a lot of different elders. I've talked to a lot of different people within uh, my tribe, but um I have talked to no one that uh, can, uh, can concretely say that, yeah, that is something that uh, we've talked about before, you know, but no, um, there is, I've found no evidence of, of a loss of time or anything like that other than, um, you know, there's a lot of different spiritual things, peyote, uh, uh, uh well, I really don't want to get into any of the medicine and stuff like that, but it's not it's not the same. Um, so, yeah, I've, I found nothing uh, that correlates um, the same like that Um, so far. Yeah, so far. <laughs> so maybe you just got to <laughs> talk to the right person and then they might uh, have some more information exactly. on it. 
Because I feel like there yeah. definitely should be some type of reference to uh, time loss within Native American lore, especially considering that there are uh, references to things coming from the sky, uh, you know, alien-type beings. Because I feel like time loss and alien beings are definitely something that are connected to each other. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I think there's there's got to be... Um, I think that there's more of a correlation to uh, UFOs or aliens or something like that with a time loss than, than it is Bigfoot. But this particular uh, event that happened to me really made me second guess that. Um, I, I just I just don't know. I don't have enough information to make any sort of a, um, anything more than just speculation. So uh, also kind of going on to the alien thing, because that's definitely another topic that I'd like to talk about. Um, do you have any Native American lore that you'd like to share that you've uh, obtained from the elders about uh, extraterrestrials or aliens as far as like their connection with the Cherokee? You know, that's that's one of the things about the Cherokee tribe that uh, I think a lot of our stories, um, at least the ones that I'm uh, familiar with, are not necessarily about um, uh, aliens or, or anything like that, but more uh, a little bit more supernatural, if you will, like, you know, like we were talking earlier about uh, Spearfinger and, and uh, uh, the different witches uh, and their, their uh, use of uh, medicines and, and uh, uh, this, just the spirituality behind that. Uh, but really, I have found nothing within the Cherokee Nation um, that uh, suggests any sort of connection to uh, aliens, uh, which I, I think that's... Um, it may just be uh, within our tribe, but uh, I've not talked to, you know, I, I've, I've uh, like I said, I've traveled all over the, the States and I've talked to a lot of different Native Americans. Uh, and I've got some friends that are Navajo that, that have uh, some really interesting stories, but um, I think theirs are a little bit more akin to uh, the UFOs and the aliens than, than what the Cherokee have, uh, being more of a, a woodland tribe. Um, I, I think it's those those types of um, uh, tribes out there that uh, uh, they can see more of the stars than what we ever could imagine here. Uh, it's just a wide open sky there. It's uh, I don't know if you've ever been there at night, but sometimes it's just amazing at how many stars you can see in, in New Mexico and Arizona or even all the way up in, into uh, uh, Crow Territory up north. Um, so I don't know. I, I wish there were more within Cherokee Nation, uh, but um, I, I think a lot of our stories uh, are centered around uh, more of a supernatural thing being yeah it is amazing i i was stationed in new mexico for four years and man the night sky when you get outside city you know town limits and what have you yeah i mean and to think i mean the native americans back in the day i mean that was their tv was the sky so you know and you know they might not have had the actual the proper wording for what we call ufos today or whatever but they probably they had to have seen different phenomena. You know what I mean? I mean, you hear it talked about in the Bible. You know, uh, flaming chariots or a flaming wheel. You know, they they just try to describe it the best they could with what they knew of the time. And oh. like I said, you know, there has to be some story passed down somewhere within some of these tribes that maybe it's just getting buried and not talked about as much as it used to be. And somehow 
I'm, I'm hoping maybe you could could you know discover it and you know write about it one day. Well, I, I this um, in the spring I've got some uh, some trips set up uh, to go visit some friends of mine and uh, Navajo and and this is in Gallup, New Mexico, and that's what I, I'm hoping to to hear more about uh, myself because, like you said, they they had to have seen things. Um, back in you know the 1500s 1600s 1700s that you know had to be just purely amazing to them everything from from comets and meteorites and and different things like that you know well what was some of the theories behind that because they had to have seen it so they had to have had a story about it um but what i find really uh interesting though is you look at a lot of the uh, um the cave drawings and, and the different things like that I have not seen any anything um, about the stars and, and comets and meteors or, or anything like that drawn on any of the pictures that I, I, I've ever seen through my research. And, and I find that kind of interesting. So, but uh, like you said, it could be something that it's just not talked about. Or it's hidden within like a different type of wording possibly too. Um, just because I, be. I find it fascinating and I wanted to bring it back up because we've referenced it a few times, uh, spear fingers, uh, definitely very interesting native American lore. Um, I don't know if you'd like to share the story or I can, but, uh, another one that I want to bring up afterwards is uh, two face. If you're also familiar with two face, just, just a little bit. I, I'd love to hear more about that because I've, I've heard just a little bit from here and there, but, uh, um, like I said before, you know, it's not uh, one of those stories that I, I've uh, gone after, but uh, uh, because there's just so much uh, information overload, I guess, on, on Bigfoot alone. So that's where I've concentrated most of my uh, my research. But uh, uh, all of those types of stories like you're talking about there, you know, are obviously on the fringe. And uh, I'm going to delve more into those. Um, I've got so many stories through volumes one, two and three and four. Uh, at, at the next ones, five, six, seven, and eight, I think we're going to delve a little bit more into those fringe stories like that. But yeah, uh, please share. So uh, I guess trying to leave it as basic as I can, so that uh, you know I don't mess up too much of the lore because I, I'm I just recently started getting into Native American lore like the last couple weeks. So I'm, yeah. I got to dig a little bit more into it, but I got the basic premise stories. Um, so from what I understand, at least about Spearfinger is she has the impression of like a woman. She looks like a woman, but she has like a finger that is like a spear like claw. And she's usually seen around waterways and she lures people with uh, like a like it's like a sad woman sound. And usually it seems that she preaches on children and women and then will like lure them and kill them or pull them into the water from the basic understanding that I have. And then Two-Face is the one that I found even more interesting where it's a woman and she's more of like the witch style like you were kind of talking about with Native American lore. The understanding that I had too was that there was a tribe that found a way to try to trap her. So they made this uh, thing on the ground and then they covered it. It was like a hole and then they covered it with, um, what was it, with like leaves, all that kind of stuff. And they lured her in. She fell into the hole and she's supposed to be indestructible. Um, and I guess, I don't remember exactly what type of bird it was, but a bird landed and basically told them to go for the heart. So they tried to go for the heart where you would normally, you know, I have an idea of where the heart would be and that didn't work. So they got mad. They killed the bird. And then another bird came and basically mentioned that her 
heart was in her hand that she keeps closed, and they noticed that she had her spear finger, or not the spear finger, but the um, the speared elbows, because that's what the toothpaste one was, the speared elbows. And uh, she would, see, I, mi- I mix up the lore, because these two are very close. That's why I got to do a little yeah, bit more diving yeah. into it. Um, but essentially, it was in the enclosed hand, and then after they attacked the enclosed hand, she died, and then that was where all the lore kind of fell off, is that, you know, she, they killed the, two, I think it was Two-Face. Like I said, I'm mixing up the two. I don't know which one. I think it, it may have been Spearfingers, the one that I'm talking about. And then Two-Face was the one that has, like, the split with uh, the speared elbows. Yeah, that's uh, – the Spearfingers uh, is is the, the one that I, I'm more familiar with. And, yeah, the uh, to in order to have killed her, you know, they, they did lure her to a, um, to a trap like that. And that's where her heart was in, you know, in that in, in her hand, in the finger. So, um, but she could appear to you in, in any form. Uh, that was one of the things that I've always heard. She could, she could come to you as an old man. She could come to you as, as a young woman, uh, as a child. Um, so, you know, that's the, and once again, I don't know if those are, you know, where the basis for those types of stories come from, uh, because just like anybody else, Picture this, you know, a Native American tribe, um, if you were a member of a tribe back in in the early 1700s, for instance, what do you do to entertain yourself? Uh, You know, people um, tell stories, and that's how they they would uh, entertain the children a lot of times is to tell stories. Um, So those stories could be the Stephen Kings of the tribes, you know, who are we to say? Um, because we really don't know. Um, but I, I think uh, uh, Native Americans are some of the, the greatest storytellers that we have. It's kind of uh, like Japanese mythology, where it's hard to differentiate the history from the stories because yeah. it wasn't written down for so long. It was passed by word of mouth. And then all of the history and the folklore get mixed Except for, you know, with Japanese mythology, you got the yokai instead of, you know, like witches and all that kind of stuff. They kind of put them under a different category. But, yeah, it's like it's kind of hard to differentiate it because if you believe in there being a possibility of anything supernatural, paranormal, anything like that, like who knows what stuff was real and who knows what stuff was just made up stories to try to scare people away from things. Because at the basic premise of it, it's all things that uh, could have like a like a lesson to be learned within it. Like don't wander off into the woods by yourself. Uh, don't go in the water by yourself. Um, you know, just basic stuff to try to just keep everybody safe. But, you know, you scare the kids with these stories or other people with these stories to make it so that it's not just like, a, oh, I'll be fine. Like they're legitimately scared that something is going to get them by the water. And I mean, it goes into Japanese mythology, too, with uh, like, like the Kappa, very similar with uh, the whole idea of like luring people by water. And, you know, it's just avoid the water by yourself is essentially the premise of most of these old stories that relate to these like water dwelling water they, they hang out near the edge of the water type beings <laughs> yeah uh, you, you, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I think you hit on something there i think a lot of uh, our native american stories are simply parables um you know stories that are that are uh useful um you know to uh, uh to teach a lesson um uh, you know uh, one of the stories that uh, i remember hearing growing up uh like that was uh, the story of how the possum lost his tail. Um, you know, lost the, all, all the fur off of his tail. And just just to quickly surmise uh, or to synopsize it, um, 
you know, the possum was very proud of his tail. Uh, and it was a big, furry, um, fluffy tail. And he was always going on about it. Hey, look at my beautiful tail, you know, and, and telling rabbit, you know, hey, look, look at my tail. It's, it's a lot bigger than yours. And it's, it's a lot better than yours, you know, because it, it's bigger and longer and fluffier. Um, and uh, so one day the other animals got together and said, hey, you know what? We're, we're tired of hearing this. Um, let's have a little party and let's get Cricket uh, because Cricket was a, a great barber. Okay. Uh, let's get Cricket to, um, to, to give him a, a, a makeover, if you will. Uh, but Cricket secretly uh, goes over and uh, says, well, let's, let's, uh, um, let's manicure your tail, you know, for this, the party we're going to have, all the other animals are having a big party to just for you, you know, you're going to be the, um, center of attention here. So, uh, possum says, okay, well, go ahead. So the crickets get to work on his tail. Uh, and they, um, cut all the fur off of it, but they were wrapping it, wrapping it up tight and said, now don't take this off until you get to the party. Right. So, okay, great. But when you get to the party, you know, we'll take that off for you. And then you can show the world your big fluffy tail again. So they go to the party and he whips that off and he starts showing his tail and look at me thumping his chest. And then all of a sudden he sees all the other animals laughing at him. And, uh, you know, and then he, he sees what they're laughing at that the crickets have cut all of his, his beautiful fur off of his tail and he just couldn't take it. So he, he just, fell down and played dead because he was so embarrassed. Um, so, you know, there's this, the, the story behind or the um, behind that is, is the, um, you know, pride cometh before the downfall, you know, that pride can, um, that can hurt you. So let's not be so boastful. You know, there's, there's stories like that, that are just to teach you a lesson. Now we're learning lessons and, and what have you. Let, let's jump off to, some more of your uh, in- encounters books. All right, yeah. Uh, you know, here's one of the things that, that I, I do want to uh, kind of bring up is um, many years ago here in, in Oklahoma, um, there was a, a series of uh, sightings, uh, UFO sightings. And uh, I remember as a kid, I went down to uh, the river one time with my mom and dad. We were we were fishing by the river, and I couldn't have been ten years old, but I was. Uh, I got real tired, and it was late at night, so I uh, go up to the truck, and I'm laying in the bed of the truck, and I'm just looking up at the stars, you know, and, and uh, I see this this weird white light. It streaks across the light uh, the sky. It just bounces. But then uh, the thing that uh, I thought about later is it, it didn't just go from side to side like a meteor would, like a comet would or anything else. When it got to this side, it came back and did the same thing. It would blink in and out until it got, I mean, this was so super fast from one edge of the horizon to the next in the night sky. So it was that was fascinating. Oh, yeah. And I remember too, at that particular time, there it was on the news. Uh, 
that people have been calling in and reporting strange sightings in the sky. So that got me just super interested in, in UFOs and, and, you know, the whole Roswell thing. And I started reading books about that, you know, so, but that's, that's where a lot of, a lot of my inspiration came from is things that happened to me as either as a kid or, or later on. Say all it takes is one experience, then it opens up the whole entire door to a whole new spectrum of things. And I don't know about you, but I always found it way more fascinating when you see something weird and then you see somebody talk about it on the news, you hear other groups of people talking about it. Cause then again, it just brings more validity to it being, you know, yeah. not just, Oh, it's a satellite. Like, cause if you have 30 different people see something and all of them are like, yo, that's not a satellite, then it brings a little bit more of an eye onto the situation. And it makes it so that almost probably anybody that saw it digs into it a little bit more. And when it comes to something oh, yeah. that moves across the sky like that, that's something people have taken into consideration because everybody tries to throw in plane, whatever. But if it's something that sits and then it moves rapidly in different directions, like there's nothing that we know of that has the ability to do that. Right. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one other story here, and I'll try to be a little bit brief with it. But uh, this happened at, when I was an adult. I, I was married at the time, uh, not very very long married, but uh, we were coming home late one evening in, in the in the in the late fall, early winter, uh, and. Um, come back into town and I grew up in a small town called Stillwell, Oklahoma, uh, population, maybe 3,500. So it's very small. So when we come back into town that night, it's dead. There's nobody around, you know, and, uh, we drive, um, through town and then we turn on a highway that that's leading out of town. And, uh, right as we get to the edge of town, there's a little, uh, convenience store that we stopped at to, to get gas. And it's, like I said, it's late at night, but it's that time of year when it's it's kind of misty, foggy out, um, a little bit chilly, but not super cold or anything. And uh, my wife had went in to go pay for the gas, and I'm out here putting gas in, and I'm just I'm just standing there and waiting on the pump, and I feel something more than hear something, and I'm looking around and thinking, is there a big truck? somewhere close by um and i'm just i'm looking there's nothing around there's a neighborhood off to the the back side of that convenience store but it's quiet just dead quiet there's no traffic um and i just i kept hearing it. so finally the gas shut off and uh i hung it up and, and now i'm really listening can't I, I can't see anything i'm you know there's no vehicles around but I still feel this and I, I hear this. It's it's a very, very low frequency. And I, I start walking into the store because my wife was just coming out and I was going to kind of meet her halfway and she's walking out and all of a sudden she starts looking up. And I looked up to see what she was looking at. Above us, it couldn't have been, I don't know, 150 feet up was a huge just it just covered the sky uh, dark gray metal steel looking um spaceship i mean that's that's the only way i can describe this thing because what i could see and and feel right above us was that low hum that low frequency and just you could feel it in your body more than hear it and we're just looking up at this thing and it's slowly moving by 
and you can see where there's like um, like the steel girders on, on, a, on a ship, you know, how it's welded together and bolted like that. It looked like that in a way like there were seams, but there were no lights on it at all. And it just slowly moved off. And as it did, it, you know, we, it, it went out of sight, but we could see it right above all the, the city uh, or the town uh, lights, you know, and reflecting off of it. It, it was the, the eeriest feeling ever. And we both saw that. So, you know, there were, I wasn't crazy. <laughs> she saw it too. When you uh, talk about the vibration and like hum, uh, I've heard it a lot from a lot of different uh, people who have had experiences with uh, UFOs um, that, you know, people will get like burned by it because it has like a, like a supersonic vibration. And from like my understanding, that's what it uses to be able to travel the way that it does is that it has this like ultrasonic vibration and that's like what's able to keep it where it's at and able to float in the sky. So, of course, like if something that big is vibrating, essentially, it's going to create like a frequency. So, I don't know. I always... Uh, find it fascinating when people mention that they feel and hear that vibration because again like you know most of the things i've been saying tonight uh, it just brings more like validity to the story um because when you break it down for like people who have supposedly like worked on these ships even like government whistleblowers they all mention that it vibrates when it's working at a supersonic frequency and it will burn you if you get up close to it or you touch it <laughs> yeah yeah i i think there's a lot of credence to that because uh you know the human ear we can't 40 hertz and down, we can't really hear. We, you can feel that, but uh, being a musician, you know, when, when you're running sound and uh, the sound engineers will tell you, uh, a lot of times back in the day, everything from 40 hertz down on, on spectrum, we just drop it out because most power amps can't even produce that um, low of a frequency. And it's it's incredibly hard to produce that low of a frequency. It, it takes a lot of power to do that. Uh, you know, you go to a concert and you feel the bass there. That's that's going to be about 80 to 120 uh, hertz that, that you're feeling and hearing. But below 40, you can only feel that. And that's really what that felt like. That low 40 or 40 and below also can be contributed to, uh, to Big, Bigfoot or Sasquatch with their infrasound. And big cats produce infrasound as well that almost startle uh, their prey and, you know, make them freeze. And then boom, you know, a big cattle pounce. Also to back up to that light that you saw jumping across when you were, when you were fishing as a kid, I don't know if you noticed, but during uh, the early, like from the early part of the lockdowns, um, when air traffic was, you know, pretty much at a halt, if you went out at night, on a clear night, I can't remember how many times I saw different colored, just what looked like orbs going across the sky, just at a slow pace. And then the moment I would look over and tell my wife, hey, look, look up. She, as soon as she would turn her head, boom, it was gone. And that happened like at least three or four times in, in, you know, a few months of, you know, before, you know, they said we could go back to work and what have you. And it was just, it was odd because, you know, I'm former Air Force. There was no strobes. You know what I mean? It was just a yeah. solid light. And I was just like, whoa, that, that's weird. You know, when you, you mentioned orbs, here's an experience that I, I had just recently, uh, a few months ago. And this is in broad daylight. Um, I, I was at a, a grand opening event 
and we're uh, where this uh, event was in, in a small town called Venita. And uh, we were outside just um, uh, standing by the gate and uh, welcoming people in, right? And uh, it's, it's the middle of the day, about uh, two o'clock. I looked up into the sky above, above town there. And, you know, when you're looking at a, a blank sky like that, you have nothing to, uh, um, for size relevance. Uh, but when I looked up there, there were several uh, white orbs. These were not drones. They were white orbs. And they were flying around, not in, in unison or anything, but then they would stop. And then two or three of them would break off, fly around somewhere else and, and do a little thing and then come back together as a group. And then some more others would do that. And they, they did this for our, at least a good solid minute. And then uh, somebody had pulled in and I was still looking and I looked down uh, to, you know, to give them a brochure and welcome them in. I look back and they're gone. I don't know what that, I have never seen anything like that before in my life, ever. Um, just white orbs. And like I said, they, they weren't drones. I, I, I know it. I've flown drones before. I, I know what a drone looks like. Um, so I, I don't know what it was. And I couldn't tell, you know, I couldn't tell you if they were 300 feet or, or, or three miles away, um, just because there's nothing there to, you know, compare the size to. So that's one of the hardest things as a person is that even when it comes to like uh, cryptid encounters in the woods, um, especially when you're in a state of fear or just like hyper awareness, it's like you have an issue with trying to tell an exact size of something because it's like you're fixated on usually one specific thing. Like when it comes to the encounters, uh, people will be fixated on either like the breath, um, they'll be fixated on you know, just like something like a dark sh a silhouette or like when it comes to the UFOs, they'll be, you know, hooked on to a light or what it's doing in the sky. And they won't actually be like thinking of the size comparison when it happens. And then it's like later on, you're trying to recollect something and it's almost like mentally playing telephone where it's like makes it extra hard because you're not thinking about it at the exact time of like, how big is this? You're just too busy yeah. staring at the object itself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Humans, I think we are the worst eyewitnesses ever. That's that's why an eyewitness <laughs> account in court doesn't really play much, you know. And, and that's another reason why uh, convenience stores and banks now have the, uh, um, you know, the four foot, five foot, six foot uh, deals, tape measures on the doors because he you know, you could come in there at being six foot five and somebody will say, well, he was, you know, five and a half feet tall. They don't know. Uh, now, put yourself out there in the woods and you see something that's a hundred yards away. You have no idea how big that that is, whatever it is that you're looking at. Because being a deer hunter, <laughs> you guys might be able to relate to this, but, uh, you know, you get buck fever and you think, oh, my God, that's the biggest buck I've ever seen. And then, you know, you drop him, you go to him, it's like, I don't think this was my buck. This was somebody else's, you know, little <laughs> tiny rack. <laughs> I might have, I might have had that a time or two. <laughs> um. So also too, because uh, we haven't really touched too much on it, and I know that your book has Sasquatch, UFOs, and paranormal. Uh, have you had any uh, paranormal experiences yourself besides uh, possibly, you know, like your sleep paralysis thing? And also, what are some of the uh, in most interesting paranormal stories that you include into your book? I've, I've had a few um, occurrences that um, quite honestly just freaked me out uh, besides the sleep paralysis. There was a, a time when um, 
back when I was married, uh, my, my first wife, we um, lived in a, in, in a trailer house, in, in a single wide trailer house. Our bedroom was um, right, the, uh, the door outside was right next to our bedroom door. And there was a, a big yard light out there. Um, and one night I, I, we'd gone to bed and the bad thing about our, our particular room, I don't care what kind of shade you put up, uh, unless you just completely crowd on black the, the windows out, it's still lit up. You know, so it was it was kind of hard to get used to uh, ever sleeping there with that yard light being so bright. But I'm laying there one night, and uh, the weirdest thing, I, I don't know if I was dreaming this or this really happened, but I had this this weird eerie feeling just come over me, and I just I, I remember being freezing cold. This is in the summertime. I was just all of a sudden just freezing, just shaking cold. The front door opened up and in walked this person in the front door and then immediately turned to the right through our bedroom door and walked straight over to the bed, looked down at me and just said two words, hello, Paul. And the person was an a dear old friend of mine that had passed away a few years earlier from cancer. My wife said at that time, I let out a blood curdling scream that just woke her up and she was like a cat out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I was dreaming this or what, but it felt incredibly real because I, again, like the sleep paralysis event that happened, I wasn't asleep. I was wide awake. So, I, yeah, I, uh, it, that was weird, <laughs> but that was just one of them. One of the times. Uh, I'd love to hear There's, some of these other times too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, okay. There was a, another time when I, I was younger, I was 18 years old and, uh, I, I, Back in that day, I had a waterbed, right? <laughs> Waterbeds were the thing. Good old well, waterbeds. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I was, um, I, don't, I ran around a lot as a kid. You know, we uh, rode motorcycles up and down the dirt roads and, and stuff out there where I grew up. And every way, there were a lot of friends out there that had them and stuff. And uh, um, I had a, a best friend of mine that had just, uh, he had moved to Texas for a few years, but he, he, but he just came back. And, man, we got to know each other again really, really well. And uh, uh, we're riding motorcycles around and, and, and just having a good time. And uh, uh, we're working together at the same place at, over at a nursery during the summer. And, uh, you know, just work hard during the day and through the week. And then, you know, play and party and have fun on the weekends. Well, one one weekend we were um, I don't know we were partying in, in a little town called uh, Telequa, just just having a good time with some college kids over there that we knew, and uh, I came home with uh, my buddy's brother. We we came home and, and went to bed. The next morning we wake up, and I'm uh, asking my buddy, "Hey, where's Tommy?" Well can't find him and we you know back that was before cell phones 
but we're calling our friends over over Telequah and find, trying to find out, tracking down, you know, where in the world is he, you know, because uh, nobody's seen him. Well, it was about four days later when they, they, they found his car. He had went off the road and went upside down and the river, in the Illinois River, had passed away. But here's the thing. Uh, two nights earlier, I was laying there in bed and I felt the waterbed shake, somebody pushing down on That's how Tommy always came in and woke me up in the middle of the night. He'd push down on that waterbed and just shake it and I'd wake up. He come in that night and he hit that waterbed like that and woke me up. Now, he uh, he always dipped uh, skull. So he had this dip in his mouth and he said, hey, man, you got a, a bottle or something I could I could use to, you know, to spit in or something. So I get up, I go to the kitchen, I found an empty Mountain Dew bottle, bring it back to him. And he's sitting there talking to him. I said, where have you been? And uh, he said, you know, it, it ain't no big deal. Don't worry about it. I said, well, wh what are you doing? Did you, did you tell your mom and dad yet? Everybody's been been looking for you everywhere. And he said, just, just tell them I'm okay. I'm good. Um, just let them know that. And he said, but hey, look, I can't hang out long. I'm going to have to take off. But just let everybody know that, that it's all good. I'm good. Um, so he leaves, and, and I go back to bed. I wake up that, that next morning and I, I, and he's still not there. Now this is before we knew that he had passed away. Um, there on my dresser is that Mountain Dew bottle with, with spit in it. <laughs> That's just a couple of days later, we found out that his car had been off the road that night, uh, four nights earlier. So that, that was something that was had a profound effect on me because that was real. That was very real to me. He came back to visit me specifically and tell me to let his brother and his mom and dad know that he was okay where he was at. Um, it was it was just a few days later that that we found his car. Um, so, you know, that was a that, that's a story that. Uh, I, I talk a little bit about uh, in, in the next book, but uh, yeah, a, a profound experience. But I don't know whether to be, you look at it and you're like, at the time, you're, you know, you're thinking, okay, this is my buddy. And then you look back on it and it was like, well, should I have been scared or, or, or what? But you hear a lot of times uh, people, you know, passing on and, and going back and, and either meeting up with a good friend or a family member and and next thing you know like a day or two later they're like oh my that they put the clues together and they're like oh that was the spirit of him he, he had been passed away yeah or she yeah i've uh, i've heard a few different types of stories like that you know where somebody has come back to to let folks know that they're okay um but you know I don't know who's to say what the deal really is. I mean, it could be. Um, but I know for a fact that when I woke up, that Mountain Dew bottle was on my dresser. Uh, and it stayed there for a full week after that. <laughs> I uh, I didn't know what to think. I, it, it took me 
it took me a little while to get over that because like I said, we didn't have cell phones back at that particular time. So I, you know, I didn't call up his, his mom and dad to, to let him know that he came back in, but it was just a few days later when I, I was, uh, um, driving somewhere, uh, back over to Telequa, um, to meet my dad, uh, when there were just a line of cars on the highway and, and wreckers and, and highway patrolmen out there, uh, they had, pulled his car out and had been in there since that weekend before. So yeah, pretty profound experience. Oh yeah, definitely. Now, uh, have you ever had any, um, encounter stories, maybe not personal or, or whatever, but with people with, uh, with attachments that have come, come into their life and attached to them. And then, you know, maybe those people were fortunate enough to, uh, to get rid of the attachment. You know, I, I actually did have a, a person that, uh, I, I've talked to that, uh, you know, usually most of the stories that I ever hear are a, um, a particular place that may, uh, be uh, spirited or, or haunted, if you will. Um, but this person that I talked to, um, had a particular um, spirit, I guess, that followed them from uh, house to apartment to house to um, everywhere that they moved. Uh, so it was it was something that was it was benign. Um, it never harmed her, um, and um, it, it never did anything uh, malicious whatsoever. But uh, she told me stories uh, about different things that occurred that she, it was a spirit that she talked to. Uh, it was a, a friend of hers, you know, but she really had no clue as to how or why um, it, it did. And it was very much attached to her, um, you know, and some of the stories that she would tell me would just be uh, playful things. Uh, she was, I remember one night she said she was washing dishes and putting them away in a little drainer right there beside the sink. Uh, a telephone rang. She goes and answers the phone and comes back. All the dishes are back in the sink again. <laughs> you know, and and, and I'm thinking, are, are, really? Are, are you sure? Absolutely. Little stories like that all the time. Or, or um, um, she, um, another story that uh, was, was kind of funny was a, uh, she said she was uh, sitting there watching TV with her cat one night. <laughs> yeah, cat lady. <laughs> but uh, the cat was sitting on her lap. And the next thing she knows, this cat just got knocked off of her lap. Right? Just knocked. Not, the cat didn't jump. Just knocked off of her lap. And the cat looked up at her like, what, what did you do to me? <laughs> and she, she said that the spirit, whatever, whoever that was, played with that cat all the time like that. It just, they just tormented each other, you know, but in a very playful way. So I found that, that story, that's pretty fascinating. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, well, at least those were good attachment stories. Cause uh, <laughs> I know the attachment that I had when I was younger, it wasn't all that, that, that pleasant. I mean, it never physically harmed me, but uh, it, it did end up, taking credit for killing someone's dog 
and that's when I because before that it was just like hey no go turn the light green after it just turned red like just turned red boom okay you know simple things like that but yeah. once it did that I, I I I prayed a lot and dove into you know just trying to do anything to get rid of it and it then it hasn't followed me in many 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 years so thankfully I, I'm pretty sure I got rid of her but you know it, it, it I don't want to say it's nice to hear funny attachment stories because you know we we don't really know what the spirit is at the end of the day you know what i mean it right be a, a trickster demon you know what i mean yeah that's where i yeah, was gonna you're go you're absolutely it. right i was gonna say possible tricksters where maybe we perceive a lot of like trickster beings that are able to camouflage themselves as attachments or paranormal stories but maybe you just have a, a puckwudgie that's sitting there messing with you because just like a lot of the attachment stories you hear the good ones like you mentioned and the bad ones like ghost mentioned and inheritedly like those type of trickster beings aren't really like good or bad they're just kind of trying to amuse themselves and make you the butt of the joke <laughs> yeah but, you know that's that's i think it's funny because you know like i said my friend that, that had that particular one it, it it was very benign but she would tell me stories about uh her cat would be playing in the air with something and she would feel that it was the spirit that the cat was playing with and whenever she would be doing something and the cat would all of a sudden just be batting at the air and, and jumping around and stuff like that when there was absolutely nothing there she said she could feel the presence there but she never saw anything other um other than things being moved around and uh, different things like that like she said she had a um, a, a water uh, a glass of water one time that uh, she just sat down and she goes to to grab it off the night table uh, to, to take a drink and it wasn't there it was over on the dresser different things like that I mean I, I didn't want to know part of living in that house <laughs> <laughs> But she said, no matter where she moved, you know, from apartment to a house to wherever, it was always with her. She was. She said she was never afraid of it. Me, on the other hand, I don't. I don't know that I could not be afraid of something. <laughs> Especially if it's something that you can't see. <laughs> that just brings yeah. in a whole other scary yeah. factor to it. You don't know if it's something little, something big, something dark, something light. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, one thing that happened to me when I was a kid uh, one time was uh, if you got time for a quick story. Oh yeah. Uh, um, me and my brother, we had two cousins that were about our same age uh, that lived uh, um, down South. And uh, every now and then my dad would take us down there and we'd, we'd visit my uncle and aunt. But uh, us kids, we would go outside and, and play or ride horses. And there were several kids there in that, that particular little, uh, country neighborhood, you know. Um, but one day we got down there and we uh, we wanted to ride horses. Now, there was this huge pasture that just had a few hundred acres out there that we could just ride anywhere we wanted to go. Well, I had this this one horse um, of my cousins that I was riding and a uh, little black horse. Couldn't remember its name, uh, but just a little honor cuz. So there were several of us kids getting, go riding out there and we're playing around and running and, and just playing stupid stuff. And then, then we're just riding trails and stuff. Well, this little horse got to acting up a little bit. So I told the rest of them, ah, go on. I'm just going, uh, I'm going to mess with this horse a little bit here. And, and uh, 
I got down off of her and, and uh, you know, just walking her around a little bit and I took the saddle off and make sure there was nothing under her saddle, but she was still acting up, you know, and so I saddled her back up and then um, we'd take off again, but this time she just freaked out and took off running. Now, I'm pretty decent on horses because I was raised, uh, you know, on horses. So I'm trying everything that I can. I just was not strong enough to turn her head. Well, she runs forever, it seemed like. And uh, I couldn't have been maybe 11 or 12 years old at this time. But she gets into the woods and we go and I'm not from there. So I don't really know the area that well. Um, but then I start looking around when we when I finally get her stopped and I have no idea where I'm at. I can't hear any of the other guys around. I holler at them, can't hear them. They can't hear me. Um, we're down in this just kind of little in, in this little holler down here by a little spring. Um, so I get off and uh, let her get a drink. And I'm looking around trying to get my bearings. And I remember thinking, well, if I just ride straight in one direction, I'm going to, I'll definitely hit a dirt road or a fence or something somewhere. Um, so I take off and uh, I'm just, I think I'm just going in circles because I, I, I'm lost. I can't, I can't find anybody. I can't find any trail that looked familiar, not even remotely familiar. So it's starting to get a little dark out and uh, it was a little uh, rainstorm coming in. It wasn't no lightning or anything like that, but it was dark enough that uh, I knew rain was coming. Well, that's when I said, okay, well, uh, maybe I'll just let her have her head and, and she'll find her way home. You know, it, maybe she's ready to go to the barn. Well, I'm just sitting there and take off. And uh, so next thing I know, she's right back to that same spring. And it's darker now and it's starting to sprinkle. And I think, oh, crap, man, I'm going to get soaked out here. And it, it uh, uh, really just start, started pouring down. And uh, I get down off 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 of her, and I'm looking around, thinking, "Oh God, what am I going to do now? I'm lost. <laughs> I'm I'm scared." Um, and I look up, and there's this red light. Just this. It, it wasn't bright. It wasn't dim. It was just kind of a, a just a red light off in, in the woods. I'm thinking, "What the heck is that? Is somebody's?" flashlight or something because I you know I'm a kid I don't know but I, I see this light and uh so I, I holler out I, I hear nothing and then I see the light kind of bobbed a couple of times right I'm thinking okay that's I don't know what that is um so I get back on the horse and I try to ride in another direction try to turn her head and go somewhere else um but every time I turn that light would be right in front of me, you know, several yards out there. So I said, okay, all right. Um, I don't know what this is about, but um, what, what in the world do I do? My horse just started walking, following this red light. And uh, every time I try to turn her, she wouldn't, she wouldn't have anything to do with turning away from it. Um, I don't know how long it took, but we followed that red light all the way out of the woods and back to the barn. Um, and then it just 
it disappeared. By that time, it's dark outside. It's it's raining uh, hard, and everybody's already in the barn waiting on me. Where have you been? Well, <laughs> I was in the woods. Um, I can't account for that light. I don't know what it was, um, but other than uh, I just chalked it up to uh, a good spirit um, leading me home. Reminds me of those, uh, I don't know, you hear, you hear stories about different like beings where they're actually trying to be helpful and like lure people back. And it make, makes you wonder if it's more of like an extraterrestrial thing or if it could possibly be more of like a, I don't want to say like a cryptid type thing, but some type of like being also. Like a lot of the things we've talked about today, it's kind of like falls in that gray category. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I uh, I don't know if uh, age has anything to do with the perceptibility of any supernatural phenomena or not, but uh, it seems to be uh, a very common um, theme from a lot of people that I've talked to that the uh, things happen the, earth, the younger they are. Um, so I think there's something to that. Say on the tail end, too, it seems to happen at, like, the end of people's lives, too, where they start uh, making more connections with the afterlife, whatever you want to call it, another realm. Uh, like, the veil thins. It's You come into the beginning of your life, and then you kind of get pushed into this certain method of thinking where you kind of, like, almost reject all of these ideas, so you're not open to the experiences and the opportunities, and then it opens back up at the tail end. Kind of weird how, like, society kind of gears you that way, and it seems like most people's yeah. experiences stay that way unless they kind of like keep themselves open. And then those are the people that are almost like antennas and have experiences like through their whole life. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think the younger that you are, uh, the less you are um, prone to uh, all those teachings of the world, you know, that this is right and this is wrong stuff, you know? And, and I think we don't um, allow ourselves to be, um, open-minded throughout our life cycle. I think you're absolutely right. The younger you are, yeah, the more innocent you are, the more trusting you are, and, and the more things that, that you're able to see and, and perceive. Um, and then you get caught up in life. And, you know, everybody teaches, well, that ain't that ain't right. That's, that's wrong. You don't talk about that. That's crazy talk, you know. But then the older that you get, the closer that you get to that, uh, that age of, um, of eventually passing on, I think you you start picking up on that again. You start being more perceptible to those, um, those spiritual things. Also with the light, um, could have something to do with your, your native American background as well. You know, you may not have known it, you know, then, but you know, you, you kind of touched on it. It could have been a good spirit of the woods, you know, leading you back to safety. You know, you know what I mean? And th th there's many stories in, in native American, um, lore for folklore you know stories passed down that you know in certain situations you know certain things appear and and help them get back to safety yeah you know i've heard uh, a lot of different stories like that that uh, uh there is a, a good spirit that that does help them uh, and uh you know i've told that that particular story too uh, to uh, a lot of different folks and uh that that is the common consensus uh you know that was that's a it's a good spirit leading you, leading you home, leading you back to this, you know, to, to safety, back to your parents, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's just as many good spirits as there are probably bad ones. Or even misunderstood that uh, people just yeah. aren't understanding exactly what they're trying to do. And then they might take it as something malicious. Like, 
you know, go into like the Bigfoot experiences, for example, where a lot of them will, people will take them as they're trying to be scary or trying to lure them off or something like that. But again, like if you were just a being that was in the woods and these other beings pop up and you're just like, oh no, uh, your first instinct, even if you see like another animal generally is to try to act like you're scarier to get them to go away from you. But theoretically, like they could be just as scared as you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's the funny thing with, with, with even predators, um, you know, when they feel uh, that you're in their territory, they're going to, they feel threatened. But at the same time, that, that threat is, comes from fear. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you surprise uh, a bear, for instance, you know, he's, uh, he's not going to be happy with you. Um, but if you, you know, no. that's why they say, <laughs> wear, wear a bell or something when you're hiking or in that, situation where you, you're not going to sneak up on them. You don't surprise them because I think the surprise is, it, you know, leads to fear, which fear is going to uh, present another reaction uh, and a reaction that you probably don't want to have anything to do with. Just don't whistle. Cause that's what most folklore says is that when you whistle, you draw things in, wear a bell, don't whistle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, kind of starting to get towards the end here. Um, for anybody that would be interested in coming and finding your books or possibly, you know, contacting you to share some stories, uh, where would, might they be able to find your books and be able to contact you to share stories? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything I've, I have, I'm, I'm exclusively uh, with Amazon and, and in Kindle. Um, and uh, you can find me right there, Paul G. Buckner um, on the author lookup. But you can also uh, find my latest book there, um, Bigfoot, UFOs, and the Paranormal. Uh, which is, uh, like I said, the nonfiction. Uh, and uh, hopefully here in the spring, uh, Volume 2 will be released. Uh, it's at, it's with editing right now, so um, hopefully it won't take too long to get through that whole entire process. But, uh, yeah, absolutely, on, on Amazon, uh, and it's, it's really easy to find. And uh, we'll definitely include any links that I can't find, or at least to your uh, basic Amazon profile in the description. So yeah. if anybody wants to come and find it. And then uh, again, like if, if anybody wants to share some stories, uh, where might they be able to come and like share some stories with you? If they have some experiences that they feel that you might want to put in your books, or maybe they have an experience that might relate to yours to possibly explain that what you were talking about earlier with uh, the time loss with the Sasquatch experience. Yeah, absolutely. I always put my, uh, my emails in my books and, uh, um, and, and on the website too. And it's simply pgbuckner at yahoo.com. And, uh, you know, uh, that's one of the things that uh, I love is hearing stories from, uh, from, from fans from, or to people that just want to share their story. Um, and, uh, I find a lot of inspiration in that for the fiction side of what I do. But, uh, also, you know, when I talk to folks, it's, uh, it's a matter of, okay, well, um, would you mind if I uh, put this in, into the next volume? You know, they've got some interesting stories and some interesting people. So, yeah, PG Buckner at yahoo.com. And I, I love to hear from anybody. Love stories. Thank you so much for uh, making the time to come on today. This has been a great conversation. Hey, I appreciate I you guys having me. It's been fun. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I, I love listening to the, the, the Native American lore. You know, I listen to that all, all day long it's one of my favorite topics so yeah absolutely uh, uh bill and amy um uh lancaster uh did um 
a couple of uh, documentaries too that uh, um, I was featured in uh, with some different stories and stuff. Uh, and uh, that was Native American Bigfoot. Uh, and you can check that out too. And I think you can find that on Amazon as well. Um, the Native American side just is just purely fascinating. So uh, thank you guys for the opportunity to come on. I really enjoy it. Hi, right, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to another fun and exciting episode of Bizarre Encounters with me, Ghost, and the Bigfoot Hippie Shane. Um, if you have an encounter that you would like to uh, to at least let us know or maybe be a guest, you can uh, email that to us at bizarreencounters at outlook.com. Or you can hit us up on Bizarre Encounters on Instagram or Telegram and uh, shoot us a DM over that way. Uh, if you have a story that you want to tell and you're worried about the recording, you can record it. Send us a voice thing. Shane has the uh, the equipment that he can alter your voice so nobody would know who you are and we can change your name to keep you completely anonymous. Um, however, in this day and age, I don't think too many people care anymore. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about Bizarre Encounters here. So, <laughs> yeah, don't forget, hit us up at uh, Bizarre Encounters at Outlook.com and on our Instagram and Telegram. And if anybody else is interested in sponsoring the show, uh, they want to be just a guest on the show, if they're a type of researcher, author, anything fun like that, uh, there's a topic that you really want us to cover on one of the deep dive episodes, or you feel there's anything at all you can contribute to the show, also hit us up. Definitely, uh, you know, we want to hear from you. So you never know what, what we might be able to bounce back and forth off each other and, you know, do some cool stuff in the future, because that's how we met our current people that we collab with. So, like I said, don't be afraid. Just shoot us a message, and uh, we'd love to coordinate the show a little bit and do exactly what you guys would like to hear and see. So with that, you can also uh, check out the link tree, uh, quick and easy access to everything that we've mentioned, including the email. Uh, the link for that is L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Bizarre Encounters. And with that. Until next week, guys, kids, grandparents, whoever's listening to the show, make sure you keep it bizarre. Bizarre.